On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we talk with Mayor Fred Eisenberger about the provincial government's backtracking on their plans to cut funding for a bunch of programs in the city, at least for this year. But what happens next year? Well, stick around, you'll find that out. Uh, We also chat about phone sales, iPhone sales, other smartphone sales. They are dropping, and not just by a little bit. What is going on? Because doesn't everybody need or want to have a smartphone? And Don Robertson is in. We chat about the Raptors. We chat about Tim Laiwiki. Remember his name? Uh, We chat about Bill Buckner and a bunch of other stuff. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. This morning, Premier Doug Ford announced that the province has cancelled, for now, retroactive funding cuts to cities. There was going to be, there were going to be slashes of funding areas to various um, sectors of municipalities as the province continues to look for ways to chisel back on this province's rather significant deficit and debt. And pretty much everybody at the municipal level across the province, mayors, councillors, everybody, uh, was A, not really happy about this, and then B, when they heard about this reversal of course today, seemed pretty darn happy about what happened. Now, this buys time, from what we understand, doesn't get cities completely off the hook. The demand for cuts hasn't gone away. It's just been pushed to next year. Nonetheless, again, there seems to be some pretty happy people that this is not going to be done right away. The mayor of the city of Hamilton is Fred Eisenberger. He joins us now. Mr. Mayor, thanks for doing this today. You're welcome. Uh, You released a statement today. uh, Speaking of this, sounds like from you, and I don't want to uh, interpret your words, I'll let you do that, but it sounds like there is a a level of relief, if nothing else, about this decision today. Well, an appreciation, Scott, that uh, the premiers and the the ministers are listening, and uh, they they recognize that uh, collaboration and uh, having uh, upfront dialogue before you make cut, cut announcements is probably a lot better. And that uh, if we're going to work in partnership, then you really have to uh, treat treat both levels of government with respect, respect, and make sure that you have that kind of previous dialogue before you start uh, making announcements about where where and how you're going to cut. You know what? Uh, I mean, on the local level, they'd already announced uh, public health cuts, uh, health uh, cuts in uh, in daycare and cuts in uh, in paramedics and ambulance care. And uh, without any consultation, any discussion on, you know, well, what, what's the impact of this? Is this going to be, is it, can we do that without uh, changing services or losing any frontline staff? And so this whole notion that they seem to believe that uh, whatever cuts we can make is going to come without, uh, without any kind of uh, service loss or, or job loss, uh, I think is a bit of a fallacy. So uh, right now, as it sits, we've got a reprieve. The, uh, the 4% cut that they were talking about uh, represents about $80 million for the city of Hamilton. That's, that's uh, you know, some, some eight percentage points in terms of potential tax increase if we went down that road, or, or significant employee and service cuts to be able to come up with those kind of numbers. I mean, it's just we, we, we struggle every year. To, uh, to come to a budget that is uh, just barely inflationary to account for, uh, you know, ability to pay as well as uh, making sure that we're providing services. And uh, those kinds of cuts at 4% that they're talking about isn't a simple matter. It is going to be painful. And they're, they're laying that pain on, on municipalities, not on the province as a whole. Uh, to the best of your knowledge, by the way, and I want to get into some of that stuff, but to the best of your knowledge, this would have had to have, I guess, opened up budget negotiations again. Has that ever happened? Has the city of Hamilton, to your knowledge, ever passed the budget and then had to go back into it and redo it? 
not, not to my recollection, uh, Scott. I've been around here a while, so I've I've never had that experience, and I, I'm I'm fully uh, fully cognizant of the fact that uh, that uh, there wasn't a great appetite to dig back into the budget and start hiving off things to try and make these financial commitments. I think the, the likelihood, what I heard from most people, most councillors, most mayors, in fact, was that they were prepared to if if the government was com- committed to this that. Uh, we would probably have gone with a tax hike and and labeled it the uh, the Ford tax tax hike. Uh, maybe we maybe we put stickers on all the gas pumps out there or <laughs> something of that order. I'm not sure, but I mean the the reality is that most municipalities have been doing these kinds of cuts for years. We've been looking for efficiencies. We're we're actually uh, part of the digital economy. We've got uh, more efficient ways of having people sign up the programs and how they can pay. A lot more information on apps. I mean, we're using all the available resources and technologies, including value for money audits and audits in general for all of our departments. And that's been going on for years. So how we are going to be able to achieve uh, without any lost service and without any uh, uh, additional tax increases, those kinds of savings is, is beyond me. And to do it in year. Uh, I mean, it, it was just a recipe for disaster, and uh, quite frankly, I think most municipalities would would just have labeled it a Ford tax hike. And you spoke out about this last week. You sent out a statement. Most other mayors uh, had done that. You weren't surprised that other mayors were saying the same thing as you, obviously. Right. I mean, we had a meeting, a LUMCO meeting, which is Laura Burgeon Mayor's uh, meeting in uh, Guelph uh, just Friday morning with uh, Minister Clark. Uh, who was gracious enough to come, and I think uh, the message was pretty much the same. This is uh, this is not the way you treat uh, your, your 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 municipal partner. Uh, we we cannot just turn a dial and uh, and you know magically have uh, you know cost savings appear and or disappear, and so that takes some time and effort. And and fortunately, uh, the minister Clark, to his credit, uh, heard us. Uh, listened very patiently, and obviously took that message back to the premier, and uh, and hence they've uh, they've made a decision. Now, one could also argue that uh, there was also some polling done recently, and you know, 75% of the population think they're on the wrong track with all of the cuts that they're proposing, and so that's uh, surely had a was played a played a role in their decision making as well. You uh, you know, it's hard to get anything done if you're not very popular. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Mayor Fred Eisenberger about the news today out of the province that the cuts to municipal funding will not be taking place this year, the downloading of that. Uh, Mr. Mayor, the there is a but, however, in this, a rather big capital letter B-U-T, uh, and that is, and this is a quote from the uh, Premier today, every mayor I talked to said they can find savings, so that's good news, but they said they needed more runway which is saying, if I can interpret that, that, yeah, we're not going to have to do this this year, but every mayor has said that they can sharpen their pencils and cut stuff and make this happen, whether next year or the year after or whenever. Can you find savings in Hamilton's budget? Well, first of all, let me let me just clarify for you that uh, I was with uh, 25 mayors on uh, Friday morning, and not one of them said that this is going to be an easy road to hoe. So... Uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I think that uh, most of us would appreciate there's a, there's a deficit, uh, for, for better or for worse. Uh, there's also a, a pretty robust uh, GDP that can actually service that deficit. So this notion that the province is bankrupt, I think, is, uh, is inaccurate. But that's the message that uh, this government is delivering. And uh, they're trying to, uh, to use that message to, uh, to ratchet down the, uh, 
the spending, uh, both at the provincial level and at, at the municipal level. And so uh, I, I can say with you, to you categorically that each year we go through a line-by-line line line exercise on our budgets. We have auditors that audit all the various departments, both from a, a straight auditing perspective as well as value for money. In other words, are the dollars that we're charging for the services that we're delivering are they uh, are they good value? Are we wasting dollars anywhere? And we and we this is an exercise that goes on year in and year out every year, every month of the year, uh, for and has been going on for at least fifteen years. We have asset management plans that uh, identify where our our uh, infrastructure shortfalls are, uh, notwithstanding the fact that we uh, don't have all the monies necessary to be able to fill those uh, infrastructure shortfalls. We still have done a terrific job of defining where they are and what kind of needs are, that exist. All the efficiencies that we've looked for in, the, in previous years, we've actually turned them into infrastructure opportunities so that we can get on top of the roads, the sewers, the water lines that have been uh, not getting the attention they deserve because we don't have the resources. And so I, 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 I'm, I'm painting that picture because it is not an easy road to hive off 50 to $80 million out of a $2.5 billion budget when you've been doing that already for, you know, the better part of a decade. And so um, if his auditors come in and they discover this, uh, you know, pool of money that uh, we have not used or failed to use or haven't used wisely, uh, God bless them. Uh, I'd be very, very surprised if that happens uh, in any significant way. And so uh, it's going to be a very difficult road. Now, all of that to say also that, you know what, can you, can you really fix your provincial fiscal problem on the backs of local municipalities and local taxpayers? I don't think so. And that, that's really what's, what's being attempted here. And I'm not sure that that's a fair and reasonable way to go. So to be clear then, and I think you've been pretty clear, but when the premier says every mayor I talked to said they can find savings, they just needed more runway. Did you tell the premier that you could find savings if you had more runway? No. Okay. I, I did not. And, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the others said, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's semantics. Can we, can we find, uh, you know, 50,000, 100,000, maybe a million, maybe two, you know, rearranging programs, uh, you know, being a little bit more creative. But when you, you know, in the overall scheme of things, that's, that's, that's insignificant, significant, but in, in a 1.2 or five, $2 billion budget, it's not significant. Finding $80 million or $50 million is, a, is, a, is just a bridge too far. I don't know how that happens without significant service cuts, significant unemployment, and or potential tax increases to make up the difference. And I do just don't know how it happens. And do you expect, do you have any reason to expect that the amount you'll be asked or expected to find next year will be different from what you were going to be expected to find this year? Well, and that's another, that's another issue. So it was never clear on... Um, what portions of our budget they were referring to. Is it our gross budget, which is $2.2 billion, or is it our net budget, which is short of all the things that we do on behalf of the province with a significant amount of provincial funding? Uh, if they were talking about that portion of the budget, that would probably cut in half the amount that they're asking us to find. But it's also provincial dollars that uh, that uh, we're managing on their behalf. So all the programs we're mandated to, mandated to deliver uh, on their behalf is part of the half or almost half of our, our, our municipal budget. And so it's not clear on um, whether it's four cents. And the next day it was, uh, you know, the minister when we met said uh, we're actually in realistic terms talking about 1%. 
the the next day after that, we heard uh, the premier say it's just pennies pennies on the dollar. What you know? What surely you can find that. And so we're not clear on what portion of the budget they're talking about. We're we're awaiting a letter from them to clarify those issues in terms of uh, you know what what specifically are you targeting or thinking that we should be targeting. And uh, and then uh, a more clear and specific number on the percentage. So it's been anywhere from pennies to one percent to four percent. And so still, it's vague, it's unclear, and we need clarity before we can do anything positive. That is Mayor Fred Eisenberger, Mayor of the City of Hamilton. Always appreciate you taking some time for us. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Have a good night. That is uh, so. Th- I mean, if you are if you are a municipal employee, if you are a member of city council, if you're the mayor of Hamilton, it's good news for this year. But as the mayor said, who knows what it means for next year. The other discussion, maybe we'll do this one tomorrow. We don't have time for it today, but it's an interesting one. And the mayor kind of alluded to it, but the discussion is now, the debate is, did Doug Ford, did Premier Ford back off because he was defeated in this? Did he capitulate or did he listen to people, as he says, as some people have, other people have said, and make a decision because, you know what, we want to do this in concert and do this together. Well, it's an interesting discussion. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you're an average Canadian, you probably own a smartphone. Not everybody does, but I think it's probably fair to say that the vast majority of Canadians by now own a smartphone which is a lucrative, lucrative, lucrative market for the big dogs in this field. This year, Samsung has shipped 71.9 million cell phones, smartphones, pardon me, smartphones, not just cell, not the flippy ones, the, like the, the expensive ones. Uh, Huawei has shipped 59.1 million. Apple has shipped 36.4 million. That's a lot of phones that are being sent out for people to buy. However... However, however, underline, italicize, boldface, however, Samsung's numbers are down, and they're the leader, don't forget, are down 8.1% from last year. And Apple's numbers, get this, Apple's numbers for smartphones this year, down 30.2%. And most of the other phone makers, smartphone makers, are also dropping rapidly. Why is that? Well, I'm hoping my next guest can answer some of these questions because he is the guy to answer them. Uh, You hear him Fridays at 11.30 a.m. with Bill Kelly when he's on with Tech Talk. Uh, He is the president of FPM Marketing. His name is Adam Oldfield, but I have purloined him for tonight. Have you ever been purloined before, Adam? No, no, I haven't. That's good. There's there's a little too much loin in that word to be uh, comfortable with it. But anyway, you have been purloined for the evening. Well, I, I'm glad it's you doing it, though. I just want you to know that, Scott. Thank you. I, I, I am where I did wash my hands. Uh, <laughs> this has seemed, up until this point, this has seemed, the smartphone market has seemed like such a lockdown, surefire thing for these manufacturers. All of a sudden, we're seeing numbers that are beginning to drop, and not little numbers dropping either. What is going on? Well, I think we can basically start off with what you stated, and that is that a lot of the market is already saturated. I mean, the market grew very similar in the desktop computer world, where it was like a growth spurt through the 80s, it exploded in the 90s, and all of a sudden they kind of settled down. And then it's really a question as to whether or not people want desktops versus laptops. We're in that same market right now with smartphones. So everybody has one, basically. So we don't know not everyone needs to buy one now. 
Not everyone. Well, and the fact of the matter is anything that was purchased between 2017 and up uh, and, and hard to believe that was two years ago. Right, Scott? So these phones come with a lot of features that really uh, satisfy what our immediate needs are. The only thing that's going to drive our interest to want to upgrade is the fact that speed, Internet, and that is going to result in a 5G because right now we're all moving at 4G technology, and that 4G is, is adequate. We've accepted that this is the capability of what we can move at. 5G is going to be the next leverage. The phones that are going to be coming out, that's going to be the next burst, if you will, of where I see smartphones. So the camera is a big feature. We can see that battle between Huawei, uh, between Apple, between Samsung. There's a real push for look at our technology. I mean, when they're really saying that, you know, a, a camera has six lenses and that's a real push. I mean, we could talk about the folding phone or the tablet, but that feature is not really ready to come out. They rushed it so quick. It's got so many flaws in it right now. And, and again, the one that you stated with, with Samsung as the leader with 79 million, Huawei came in number two, and that number two spot is going to alter a lot, especially with the, with the politics, with, with uh, the whole Senate and the U.S. government at this moment, in regards to where Chinese products. Just here's another thing I also want to make a point of. The reason smartphone manufacturer or uh, sales are down, there is over, there is over 163 choices, manufacturers that make smartphones right now that you have a choice in. Now, most of them are the ones we speak about, which are in the 50 millions and the uh, 80 millions in the case of Samsung, but your choices include HTC. I mean, there's 163 of them. I could go on. BlackBerry still exists as an option. So your options as a whole are, are vast. So smartphone competition in the sales side on who's going to be a leader, that's going to impact the total sales as well. Yeah, I got mine in actually in a bottle in a uh, box of cereal. It was a no-name brand, but it was. Uh, I opened it up and it was like the kid's toy. Was it called Mapan? Because that's a popular, <laughs> a popular Android version. I mean, it really only no, they... lets you download malware. But at the end, it's very functional. One of the things that strikes me about all this, though, as we talk about it, is that at first, when the first smartphones were coming out, they were such a monumental leap of technology. They blew our minds because of the stuff they could do. And it seems in recent years, I mean, I know Apple always has their big announcement, but to me, anyway, and I, maybe I'm not the target market who needs to have every little incremental piece of growth, but it seems as though the stuff that we've been seeing as these big, exciting steps forward have not really been that. I, I've not felt at any point the need to say, I've got to get that. We don't have that giant leap of technology anymore. Well, I think it really comes down to what do we all need it for? And, and you said that quite clearly when you were describing, you know, like, what do I, what do, why do I need to upgrade? I'll give you a hint. I upgraded recently. I went from the Note 8, and I'm a tech guy, so I upgraded to the new Note 9. And the reason I upgraded, I mean, from an 8 to a 9, the difference in, in what it did was very, very marginal. The battery was a little bigger. Uh, I can barely tell the difference as far as speed. My main reason for why I wanted to upgrade was because it came with dual SIM. And because I have an agency in the U.S. and Canada, I, I was always frustrated with carrying two phones. 
So the dual SIM was a feature I felt made it necessary for me to upgrade. Do I feel there's anything on the market that would drive me to want to upgrade again? If they could figure out the folding phone, I might be able to say, well, I can now justify my tablet and my phone into one device. But I'm still not there, and, and it's got some time. And I'm going to hold off, and I think everyone should as well. Everything you're purchasing up to the end of 2019, it's not 5G compatible. And next year, we're going to see 5G really start to roll out. It's a five-year plan. No one's going to be using that technology for, well, in Canada, we're probably eight years before we're going to see 5G across major towns where you'll be able to use it. And when I say towns, Toronto's, the Hamiltons, the major networks. So to upgrade your phone and have a faster network come out in the next three years or two years, it's going to be extremely frustrating to go, well, I can't even take advantage of the speed. And we already pay as Canadians huge data rates. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Adam Oldfield, we have brought him on early. Usually it's Friday at 11.30 a.m. with Bill Kelly. Today it's Monday at 6.30 with Scott Radley. And Adam, we're talking about the dropping fortunes of smartphones, the number, the sales going way, way down for a number of these companies. And if people are now buying, as you've described, uh, for necessity, you need a replacement, you're not necessarily going out to get the big new advanced feature, but you're going to go and get a replacement and that's what's driving people. Would I be overly cynical by suggesting that the smartphone companies are really, really smart people and they are just going to find ways to tweak the technology to make sure that you're going to have to replace your phone because the old ones won't keep up with the new technology? Well, I th- well, no, I, don't, I think the old technology is going to still exist for a while. I mean, we can see that with some of the cheaper brands with, you know, public mobile and Kudo and all these other bring-your-own-device features that have no storefronts, but they give you the ability to come in at a lesser, uh, a lesser rate in regards to signing up, but you only get 3G technology. The next phase of this in that roll-up will be if you want the highest speeds, I think we're going to see in the CRTC is a lot of these providers are going to throttle or create data plans that make it more advantageous to upgrade. So that plan where they currently have in Canada, you get two years with your phone, your smartphone plan, you finance it, it's called the tab or whatever the feature version they use when you get your new upgraded smartphone, that's going to be the big feature where they're going to want to roll that into their uh, sales side. So the bring your own device, which is very popular as people aren't upgrading, are still going to get that 3G or soon it's going to be 4, 4G will be do you want slow technology or do you want the 5G experience? And truthfully, 5G will be, in my opinion, a great reason to upgrade. 5G will, will revolutionize how we use phones uh, to the point where we will never need a cable internet again. Of course, the cost will be prohibitive and we won't be able to use much of it. But at the end, it is a much better speed. So to answer it is yes and no. You ask the question, will this be a reason for why people will be forced? I don't think they'll be forced. I think we're going to see the market open up a little more, as the CRTC did in Canada, that the 5G network was allowed for smaller providers' networks to be able to uh, sign up and provide that frequency for users to, to go into it. So this could be a great game player with the competition increasing, and I'm speaking strictly Canada. This is something that I think is great for us as Canadians, but uh, I, I also believe that the bring your own device, purchase your, your product is a better option. If you're going to do a purchase, I really, really encourage people to think about buying out their device. 
<clears throat> go to Amazon, go to the provider, go to Google. Uh, if, you're, if these are either Apple Direct, go on their sites and purchase the phones outright. The cost is way less and the value of where you can move it is going to be much more advantageous. Yeah, I think my first smartphone was actually a dial-up on a modem. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hook it into a phone line all everywhere I went, but I could I could walk around with it. Uh, what would be, so so 5G, you, you've explained 5G, and people understand that, I think what the, they understand that. It's going to be way, way, way faster. Yes. But leaving aside the 5G, is there anything in your mind, is there any feature or something that the apples of the world or someone else could come up with in their next big event and say, you know what, we have now got this on your phone. Is there anything out there that would make people besides just pure speed go, wow, what would it be? I think we're going to see two features that are going to be the upgrade before the 5G, and that is going to be cameras are going to continue to improve. And right now the battle between Pixel, Samsung, and Huawei are all fighting for that night camera. They're going to they're gonna continue to get better. I think we as consumers, we are, we are infatuated with the Instagrams and the selfies. We can't get enough of ourselves. So we want that better <laughs> picture. True. We, want that, we want that crisper version. Following that, the other feature is going to be augmented reality or virtual reality. That's going to be the next phase of that. And what, I, what we see is Facebook investing in it. Apple is heavily invested in it. And with that, we're going to see that technology be integrated across those smartphones. So uh, as an example, where, where would we see that really captivate? Well, we've seen 4K resolution in regards to our televisions. Of course, there's now 8K resolutions uh, to get all nerd on everybody, but it's going to be OLED, and that is the quality of the pixel using less energy, giving you that crisper look, crisper feel. And we may not notice it looking at the screen, but the technology and the speed of the Snapdragon and the, and the Qualcomm, the microchips in the smartphones are going to get really quick. They're going to get fast. We're going to see a lot more RAM. And what that all means with all that power inside our phones is that it will allow us to throw on uh, Google goggles or smart goggles from Facebook or Amazon and give that experience, gaming experience. We're going to see the gaming smartphones really increase. Uh, We're going to see the experience from the shopping experience increase based on virtual reality and and artificial intelligence incorporating the user's uh, uh, reactions. So you'll be able to, the new S11, for example, or the new Apple 11 that's going to come out, whatever that number is they call it, will come with that feature that allows you to say, if you love virtual reality, this will be the experience. You can now uh, strap on a helmet, watch your Disney channel or Netflix channel, and or play your virtual reality game, and you will now be able to get that full experience in the palm of your hand. So that's going to be the next phase and before we get to the where do we see the smartphones moving into the 5G and so forth. Adam, I appreciate your time. You know, for, for a bit of that last comment you were making there, there were people listening saying, is he talking Swahili? They weren't really sure <laughs> with some of those, the OLED, and the, but hey, we got to run. But it, you're always great. Uh, people can hear more of this with you with Bill. You'll be on at 11.30 on Friday morning. Tune in every Friday morning at 11.30 for Adam Oldfield. Always great. Adam, thanks for doing this today. Thank you very much, Scott. All right, we'll catch up with you soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Don Robertson is in studio as he is every Monday at this time. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Scott. I think the gin would help. You think so? Yep. I was going to ask you, you're wearing a lovely uh, Tim Hortons, Allen Cup, Dundas. Do you own any items of clothing that don't say Allen Cup or Dundas 
real McCoys. I, I don't. I can't remember the last time I saw you not wearing something with one of those two. <laughs> well, I uh, was doing. I was. Uh, I cut two or three acres of grass when I got home this afternoon. So. This is grass and casual wear. Yeah, so I have all kinds of stuff that says Comp Choice on it. Okay, well, one of the three. Tommy Hagerfield or whatever. I don't think I said that right, but I got those ones too. Hilfiger? Hilfiger. <laughs> Took me a second to figure out what you were talking about. <laughs> uh, um, I got so many things I want to get to today. Uh, and I was gonna, And I want to start, because we have to start, with the Toronto Raptors. And when I was thinking about this today, I thought, you know, I don't know. By the time we get around to doing this tonight, I'm wondering if people are going to be just fatigued by the Raptors because it was Saturday night and people all Saturday night they were talking about it. All Sunday they talked about it on Bill's show this morning, on Scott's show this afternoon, on TV everywhere people are talking about it. I thought, are people just going to be so tired of the Raptors that it's not worth it? And then I thought, and maybe wrongly, but the thing that came to mind is, no, I don't think so. Because around here in southern Ontario, we are so desperate for a winner. We are so desperate for a championship. It's been a quarter century. I, I'm not even counting TFC, although you can. But, I mean, among the big, big sports, it has been so long. I think there is a substantial appetite for this right now. There's been a void. And there are, present company included, an awful lot of new Raptor watchers and basketball watchers because I always appreciated, appreciated the athleticism of these guys. But, boy, I've been watching rather closely. These guys are uh, – and you get to know them, I think. You know, you, you think about even even Dougie Gilmore and stuff like that and hockey players, football players, they're all padded up. You don't see the brute strength. Hockey players are in fabulous shape. But these guys are wearing undershirts. And you can see the expression on their face. The court is so much smaller. You really do get a real perspective of their athleticism. And I think people can relate to them. Well, I mean, it's like boxing in that way or MMA or any of yeah. the sports where you are up really close and, as you say, where they are not hidden behind a bunch of equipment. Some people cared. The uh, There was 3.1 million people tuned into the Raptors. Average. Average. It at topped some out point. at almost 7 million was, it, yep. was the number that it topped out at, at which is pretty good. At some point, for game six of Milwaukee, game six of the Toronto Maple Leafs, although it was the first round, 3.3 or 3.6 million. It was close. You know, uh, you bring up the Leafs. I wasn't going to do it, and we're not going to spend a lot of time. But, boy, you know, you, you, the Bruins are about to start into the Stanley Cup Finals. The game starts in half an hour or so. You realize... They were the team that beat the Leafs out. What what would this area be like right now? If the Leafs and the... If the Leafs and the Raptors were both in the finals. And look, I don't think it's a huge leap to say if the Leafs had got past the Bruins. It's not crazy to say they would have been able to get to this point. No, they uh, they beat the Bruins three times. They had two, two shots at moving on and didn't capitalize on it. Here's one thing I can... But have they, could have be- they could have beaten the Islanders. They could have beaten the light, uh, the, uh, the Hurricanes. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, it's not like you've got the 77 Montreal Canadiens standing in your way. It was a very real possibility. The only thing I'm absolutely sure of is they wouldn't need a Brinks truck. They would need a barge at MLSE <laughs> to start moving the money around. Could you imagine? Oh, holy crap. How much money would they be taking in? They'd be taken in this week if they if they played four home games there. Seven point six trillion. 
<laughs> something close would, to it, that. Uh, it would it would pay off the national debt. It would be very very close to that. It would because you, well, I was going to say that the amount of people who would be interested in the Leafs would be more. I don't know if it would be more. I think by the time you get to this point, when you're in the finals, people like you, people who are maybe new to the game. You're going to have massive audiences for whatever it is. So whether you call it Maple Leaf Square or Jurassic Park, every night that would have been just jammed. It doesn't matter if it's the Raptors or the Leafs. It, it, you, you, the tickets you could have, you probably could have charged a little more for Maple Leaf tickets in the finals. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Can you charge more? I don't. I is mean, there no maximum? You can charge whatever you want. I know, but and maybe you would get more. But I'm telling you, don't think for a second. I don't even know what the number is, but that the Raptors tickets are somehow a bargain. Well, I heard they're not going to be a bargain by any stretch. They put standing room Raptor tickets up for sale today, and they were five hundred and forty dollars for standing room, and the odd single was six sixty, and I'm thinking that's not courtside. No, I'm thinking that you may be at it, risk of low flying planes taking your head off. I read some. Making a nosebleed. I read somewhere in Deep Thought Saturday. Heaven forbid MLSE start charging to get into Jurassic Park, but right now, you get two hundred bucks ahead to get in there. No, I, I disagree with that one. I disagree oh, only I because know. if you look at the age of the people who are down largely in that area, it is pretty darn young. But well, you could get twenty five. Well, do you know why they're there? Because they they can't afford to get into the game. Well, no, they're not working. They have time to line up at nine o'clock in the morning. And you and I aren't doing that. But that's what I'm saying. They are a younger crowd. You could yep. get twenty five bucks to go in there and stand there. I don't think you could get two hundred, but you could get you could easily squeeze twenty five bucks ahead yep. out of everybody in Jurassic Park and fill that place, no problem. And the reference was that with the Grey Cup coming up, the Tie Cats are having a standing room area outside Tim Hortons Field that will have no view of the stadium of the action. And you're going to be charged eighty nine dollars, and then you have to buy your beer and hot dogs or whatever. And my point was, heaven forbid MLSE sees this and goes, "Hey, there's an idea. There's a there's a market we haven't yet squeezed." Oh, they thought about it. Make absolute no mistake. They look out there and go, "Why aren't we charging these people?" It's one of they should do what I've always wanted to do. Let them let them in free and charge them to get out. I think that's called hostage taking. <laughs> well, as long as it works. I want to do that some real McCoy games this winter. But, but the thing that you would lose, the risk you run by doing that, is that as it is right now, you've got all these hundreds, usually it's hundreds, but now it's thousands of people who are lining that area. And you're in an enclosed area, you can't go anywhere, you can't run to the next store or whatever, it, and so you buy beer. And you buy hot dogs. And they're wildly priced. So, yeah, you let them in for free, but they're spending money. Make no mistake, they're leaving money there. That's the other thing they could do. They could run a draft line right from Labatt, right straight through there, like a like one of the oil lines. Yeah, well, he's got the Trans Mountain Beer Pipeline. <laughs> right down to MLS, right down to Scotiabank Place. You could do that for that, sure. That'd be fairly large. It Imagine is. the beer that they sell outside and inside for a game. Oh, yeah. Like everything. As your, To your point, if this... I mean, as it is, the Raptors are bringing in millions for them because, Don, you bring up one other point, and it goes back to you saying you're a new fan. How many people are new to this because they love a winner, may not watch games next year, may, may not, who knows, but who have decided, I got to buy a hat, I got to buy a t-shirt, I got to get something that says Raptors because I'm- A lot of those red We the North t-shirts 
And how much money is that on top of everything uh, else? And not just in downtown Toronto, across Canada. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's not like they're giving, you're right, it's not like they're giving the beer away. It is, there are so many revenue sources. And I do hope that MLSE does not ever think it's a good idea to start charging people to stand outside because two reasons. One, as I say, you're already taking lots of money from them. And B, that's a, that's a, a part of the experience that I think is, you don't really want to diminish that. You don't want to take that away. It's the one place where, look, the average person standing out there couldn't dream in a million years of getting in to watch the game. They'd have to sell all their internal organs <laughs> onto the black market to have enough money. So don't take the one communal opportunity that they have, considering they'll never be in the building. Here's a chance to have community and be in a community with other people. Don't take that away. Did you see the people on the other side of the fence Saturday night? Like, it went down almost to Rogers Center. Yeah. And it will, I bet you, on when these games start. Yeah. It'll go all the way to Rogers Center. That's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't even know if they, I mean, look, again, we're talking about MLSE. MLSE clearly know how to make money. Wouldn't shock me, depending on what is going on and what things are booked, wouldn't shock me at all if it was Jurassic Park was open and they also put people into the stadium, into the arena, if there's no concert or something going on. And now it's, now it's 50 bucks to get in or something and sit in the, in the arena and watch it on a scoreboard. And then you, you can charge for that. It's exciting. It's a pretty good feel-good story. You know who is... You know who is really, in my mind, though, the guy who not a lot of people around here had great feelings about him when he left, but man, oh man, someone that you now have to go back and look at again, Tim Laiwiki, who is a name that a lot of people have either forgotten or mocked because he... I haven't. He put every, the guy that's running all their sports, yeah, President MLSE. He he brought in uh, Messiah Jury. Yep. Brought in Brendan Shanahan. Yep. And revamped Toronto FC. Yep. And they threw him out of town. And now he's going to run the Seattle NHL team. He's doing that rebuild out there and everything else. But you're absolutely right. You got to give credit where credit's due. And what kind of cojones does it take to fire a coach of the year? Well, and, and to make that kind of trade, and I, I, you know, I am looking wrong. Like a lot of people, I said at the time, I was. I would not have made the trade for DeRozan at the time. And the reason was because everything had to go perfectly for it to work out. Now, everything has gone perfectly. But if they had lost to Philadelphia in that round, and then and then uh, Leonard leaves, you're now left without what you thought. It has worked out perfectly. And so, you know what? To Masai Ujiri's credit, he was the guy who makes the trade. He was the guy who put his reputation on the line. He gets the credit for that one. He And he should wear it proudly. He And if it had blown up in his face, he would have taken the crap for that one. Yep. So when it goes right, you get to take the you get to take yep. the credit. You get the plaudits and the palm leaves and everything else. <laughs> take a bow. And, and so good for him. But yeah, Tim Laiwiki. And people will remember him large. The thing that most people remember Tim Laiwiki for, if anything, is he was the guy, remember he came into the Air Canada Centre, now Scotiabank Arena, and wanted to take all the pictures down off the walls because he yeah. says, oh, we're going to make our new history. And everyone said, you've had a team here for, you, no, you're not going to get rid of our history and everyone. And he was the guy who said, we can start planning the parade and all the rest. Like he did some stuff publicly, public relations wise, that was stupid. Yeah, But, but his business choices were great. Wasn't he there <laughs> when, when they brought... Uh, um, started putting the statues out front. 
the guys jumping over the boards and everything else. Wasn't that his, he came I around and him. figured it I out. I think that was him. And said, you know what, the history in this city is great. I think that was him. But you're right. You brought in Brendan Shanahan, who has done a very good job, who was an untested guy. And Masai Ujiri, who came from Denver, who was tested but had never taken his team far. And as you say, with the Toronto FC, um, and they won a championship. It's, it's, it is a pretty impressive string of yep. successes that he has had yeah, with, with no whiffs. With no whiffs. Tip of the hat to him, without question. Is there... Oh, and we had a caller just a moment ago call in. Was it Chris? Doug. Doug called in. Uh, Doug, good call. He was talking to Ben while we were chatting with the idea, and it's a brilliant idea. I don't know. The Blue Jays are down in Tampa right now, and I don't know when they get home next. They'll have to look up their schedule on the uh, during the break. They're saying, why would they not open up Rogers Center and make it just a donation of some kind to a food bank or whatever? And well, again, for the people who will buy beer and buy everything else, like throw the place open and make it a party. Well, they do that. Um, you'll probably see the Boston Garden do that when uh, when their Boston's in St. Louis. And you're right, it holds 55,000 people. might be a bit embarrassing if you get 50,000 people in there to watch the Raptors play on the Videotron and you can't get 15,000 to watch the Raptors or the Blue Jays play, but money's money. Remember, I always say. Surely, under the circumstances, you've got the Blue Jay players who are wearing the We the North shirts now as they travel. I don't know if you saw that today. All the the Blue Jay players went out and got shirts and they wore them yesterday to go on the road, I guess. That's cool. So they're all jumping on this. People who have been down there understand the geography of this. Some people don't understand, and I, I, I hope I'm not patronizing anyone, but go look on Google Maps or whatever. The Air Canada Center, I keep calling it Air Canada Center, the Scotiabank Arena is connected to Rogers Center by a street that when you're looking at Jurassic Park, yep. right at the very end of it, that will be, you could have that whole area of downtown Toronto on Thursday night and then on Sunday you could have that whole area, the arena, the baseball stadium, and the road in between jammed with people. And I bet you could find enough people who would come down to be part of it that you could do that. And, and you know what? I mean, when we had Hockeyville and Dundas, we put up a great big 40-foot screen and hung it from a crane. So we can get that figured out in Dundas. Pretty sure they can do it in Toronto. And Toronto are very creative. They have a wonderful city manager in Chris Murray who lives in Dundas. Former city manager of Hamilton. Yes. And um, they have a mayor that gets it. Not that Fred wouldn't do the same thing in Hamilton, but, you know, the mayor, he gets it. He gets city pride. Would you see where he watched the game from the other night? No. He was in Jurassic Park in the third row with uh, with all the people. Who the... uh, John Tory. Was he? Yeah, he was standing down there with the people, which was a smart move, whether it was because of his passion for the Raptors or just a smart political move, but it was a good move. Well, it certainly isn't because he couldn't got in. Uh, you probably could have found a ticket. Somebody would have been more than happy to have them in their box. But it's a great idea. And I'll tell you, Tourism uh, Toronto, you can't buy this stuff. So if you have, let's say you could put 50,000 people into Rogers Centre to watch and 20,000 into Scotiabank and 30,000 up the road, you think the 100,000 people, I think they could easily get 100,000 people to come downtown. And because the game is in Toronto, you wouldn't even have the 20 there to watch. So you'd have 70,000 people who don't have tickets to the game to come downtown and be part of a party, that'd be easy, I think. Well, the game is there this week. That's what I mean. And, so, and the Jays 
I'm sure they didn't just boot down to Tampa for a two or three game series. So I think they head out to Oakland or somewhere after this. I think they're heading out to the West Coast again after this. So it is, uh, we'll see. We'll see what, what they're able to do, but it's, it's been so long since there's yeah. been a championship. Just before we go to break, has there been another athlete playing for a Toronto team? And I'll include a Hamilton team in this, although you know we don't have any of the major sports. Has there been a Toronto athlete who has been for his team as dominant as Kawhi Leonard has? The only one I could Gilmore think- is the only one that comes to mind, 92, 93. I don't think Doug Flutie. I don't. Well, Doug Flutie was in the CFL. I don't think you can include it. Yep. The only one I could come up with, honestly, was um, Roger Clemens, the two years he was here as a Blue Jay, where he was the best pitcher in baseball by far. By far. And then gets diminished with the steroid use. But who cares? And only pitched every fifth day. Now, I know that's what pitchers do. I know that's what's starting. So you can't ask him to do more than he does. But. Whereas Leonard is playing every single game. Yeah, but nobody came and watched him. They didn't win anything. They didn't win anything. And, and they didn't and get beaten in no, the World Series. And there was no pressure. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there was pressure to do well for himself, but not because the entire team in the series and the city and everything else was riding on Well, and, and, and the other unique thing is uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to be a free agent. So he has a bit of a vested interest in going all out. Not that he wouldn't, because I don't suggest that he wouldn't do it, but boy... I mean, talking about his market value going up. Well, it was uh, high. It was he can he could sign with any team in the league. He go, he gets to choose. Now that was the case before the playoffs yeah, started. I know, but I'm saying he's he's showcasing himself. The Raptors are the benefactor. But there is a he he has a cap on how much money he can earn. The, and he can earn more with the Raptors than with any other team because he's here right now. The fact is, every single team would take him in a second, and if they've got someone else, they would find a way to trade that guy to make room for him. He has he has made sure, he has guaranteed that whatever he chooses to do, he will make every last dime that he can possibly make. And no one is going to be saying, oh, well, how about coming in for a hometown discount or something? No, no, he's, he's, he's going to get every single dime that anyone else in the league could possibly get. It would be interesting if the out, uh, outside factors have anything to do with it, if Drake says, I'll give you $5 million if you stay. And you can ride around in my private jet. Yeah, I don't know if you're. I don't. I don't know what the rule. I, I don't know. Well, I don't what the imagine rules are. they're putting it in the paper. No, but I don't know what they're. If they found out that Drake, for example, was giving him money on the side, and Drake, and you know, Drake said it's a personal services contract to come to my concert once in a while and sign some autographs, and I'll pay you five million bucks on top. I I, I don't know what the NBA does. But I, I don't expect that's going to happen. Well, but. Stephen Stamkos, from what I understand, and I heard it was Canadian Tire, but that's only through the media, but offered him a, a, a tremendous uh, promotional gig if he signed with the Leafs. sponsorship deal. It was a sponsorship yeah. thing. Yeah, and, and so that's the thing I don't know. I don't If, if you have a, a private citizen or a corporation like Drake who says, I'll pay you extra on top, I mean, I guess it's just a sponsorship. Yeah. It's no different than that, but maybe, you know, so if Drake is listening, and I know he's a regular listener to this show, because we are regular listeners to his music. He's going to wheel in and give you a little shoulder massage here. He may not. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don Robertson is in from the Dundas Real McCoys and ComChoice Realty and various and sundry other facets of the greater Dundas community. Bill Buckner died today. Did you hear that? 
No. Bill Buckner, who died 69 Bart, years old. Bart Starr. Bart Starr died yesterday. Bill, Bill Buckner. Buckner, 69. He was 69, and apparently, and by the way, if you're calling in now, uh, thank you for calling in now. Phones are ringing, so hang in there. Ben will get to you as fast as he can. Don't hang up. Uh, yeah, so Bill Buckner, who famously was with the Boston Red Sox against the New York Mets, ball goes through his legs, um, lo- they end up losing the World Series. Uh, he was 69, apparently had suffered from dementia for a number of mm. years. Uh, had been a bit of a rough goal. But the thing about Bill Buckner that I don't think a lot of people remember, some do, is that he was a terrific, terrific baseball player. He had 2,700 hits in his career. Uh, he hit 300 a number of times. And yet the only thing he is remembered for in vast swaths of the world is letting that ball roll through his legs. And I can't think of another athlete. Maybe you can. I can't. I'm sure they exist. And In fact, we'll probably come up with one while we're sitting here. But I can't think of another athlete who is... I can think of athletes who are remembered for a moment, a glorious moment. But Lee, not, what about Norwood in Buffalo? Scott Norwood. That's a good point. That's, see, I knew we'd come up with one. Uh, Scott Norwood, who missed the field goal. Wide right. Wide right. But there aren't many. There's a lo- there are a lot more athletes who are remembered for their moment of glory who may have had mediocre careers and they had one great moment then, or they may have had a great career, and, but known for... Joe Carter had a wonderful, ha- a wonderful baseball career. Joe Carter is known for that home run. At the same time, uh, what's his face? Now that I say it, the pitcher who he was, um, who, who was throwing for Philadelphia. I'll think of it in a minute. Eckersley? No, no, Eckersley, oh, he gave up the home run to Alomar in the series before then. But well, while you think of it, Steve Smith and Edmonton bank one off Grant Fuhrer's uh, pads to let Calgary go on and win a Stanley Cup. 1986. Yep. That's another one. Now, most people, I don't even know if Steve <laughs> Smith's name would stand out to most people outside Calgary or Edmonton. Real hockey fans, diehard hockey yeah. fans would know it. But Bill Buckner... Almost became a verb. Yeah, it did. He became so notorious for that, to the point where, for close to twenty years, he would not have anything to do with the Red Sox organization. They would have reunions and stuff. He wouldn't come because it was just too much. It was too painful for him. And then, more recently, in the last six or seven years, he showed up for opening day or something and got a huge, huge ovation. But. It's it's hard to think of too many guys that have had that kind of thing like him. And it's funny because plays like that, people remember, but that's not why you lose. I mean, they, the Boston could have scored three more runs and it wouldn't have mattered. Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, Jim Kelly could have thrown an extra touchdown pass. And Mitch Williams, by the way, was the guy who threw the pitch to Carter. Yes. Um... um Jim, Jim Kelly throws an extra touchdown. Norwood doesn't even have to kick the field goal. But it comes down to those bad memories. Or Kelly gets them 10 yards further downfield, and it's 33 yards instead of 43 yards. Yeah. Hey, misses wide left. Well, I, but it's the, the number of players who have had to live through that, where your entire career, and Scott Norwood is an excellent one, although, again, I wonder about outside this area how well-known. I mean, that was, that's well-known because it was a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. no, it... I don't think there's one as big as Buckner. Has there been another athlete who has had a... Uh, Fred Merkel was known for a while, Bonehead Merkel, which was... Uh, that's what he got known as because... 
the story was that this was way, way, way back. This was years and years ago in baseball. They He was on first base. There was a runner on second base. The game-winning hit was driven into the outfield. The guy comes in and scores, and Merkel, who was on first, sees the runner run in from third base and doesn't go to second base, turns and comes in to join the celebration without ever touching second base. So he's not safe. And they threw the ball to second. Merkel is out because it's the third out of the game on a force play. They lose. Or they tie. They had to go to extra innings. They lost. And that Sounds was like he was appropriately na- nicknamed. Bonehead Merkel. That's one of the famous plays. But but that was that was... Even then, and maybe, you know, that was way back. Maybe there are people old enough to remember Bonehead Merkel well enough to say whether that matches Bill Buckner. But, I, you know, I can't, as someone, and, and here, here's where this really comes into play. As a father of a kid who played competitive sports, nothing like the World Series, I'm not talking about at that kind of level, but you get into tournaments, you get into moments, Bill Buckner's mistake, his error, popped into my head a couple times over the years because you're saying to your about your own kid, "Oh, please, don't have that happen," and and it's on a scale one billionth of the World Series with the world watching, and you can only imagine. Forget Bill Buckner for a second himself, even though he clearly Don struggled with it. Imagine his family. Yeah. Well, he'd you in Boston. You wear that forever, right? How many times do you think people probably came up to him at autograph shows if he did any with that photo? Yeah, and wanted that signed. And if you're his wife or you're his kids, and your dad has had a Hall of Fame baseball career, and that's the thing you're forever known for. That that's that's it's brutal. It's the it's the brutal part of sports. It's cruel, but. It is cruel. It is. Back in the 1973, 1973 Stanley Cup Finals, I remember the story. Bernie Perrant was my hero as a kid. I loved Bernie Perrant. And he tells the story of a moment that could have been like this because I guess with seconds left, he's looking up at the clock in the spectrum while their clock is counting down and the Flyers are about to win their first Stanley Cup and somebody from the Boston Bruins turns and fires the puck down the ice. And Bernie Perron says, at the last second I see the puck coming and I stop it with my stick. You imagine how Bernie Perron's yeah. legacy changes if he's not watching and he lets in a goal from the far goal line and a game goes to overtime and the Flyers end up losing that Stanley Cup. It would be a tough one to live down, wouldn't it? But that's what it's equivalent to. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel, uh, thankfully, thankfully, in recent years, that relationship got mended and there seemed to be some forgiveness for the guy. Because that's the other thing. Could you imagine having gone to your grave with that? That that never got resolved in any way? I don't know. I feel bad. I, I still feel badly for the guy because it's, the thing about sports that fans lose a sense of reality about sometimes is that I can assure you, I could, I would bet all the money that I have ever made, will ever make, and my family will ever make for the next 25 generations. Bill Buckner did not try to let that ball go through his legs. <laughs> that might be a pretty safe bet. 
he tried to make that play and he didn't do it. But it wasn't an effort to screw things up. It wasn't even carelessness, I don't think. It was just a horrible confluence of events that he wore forever. And that's what we forget. That's what I think we forget sometimes is that if the guy had done something really stupid that led to it, you can point at him and say, what were you doing? But if you're making every effort to do it and it just doesn't go your way, boy, that's a, that's a tough one to wear. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to wish everybody a very happy national great popsicle day today. Great popsicles, the Cadillac of the popsicle world. Way better than orange. Way better than the red ones, whatever flavor they're supposed to be. Way better than the lime ones. Great popsicles, Don, were the the ones you wanted to get. If you because you couldn't always see into the package, you hold it up to the light as a kid. You always wanted the. Did you? Are you a great popsicle guy? Or I'm there. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted the grape one. They were a nickel. For some reason, once upon a time, purple was the color. Now it's. I don't know. Do kids care about the co- we? Uh, we had a friend who had a big wheel. Remember the big wheel? Yeah. And he had one, and his sister or brother had one, and one of them was purple. The purple one was the cool one. Who wanted an orange big wheel? The purple one was the one you want. Purple. I don't know what happened to purple. Now it's eh, it's purple. Who cares? But purple popsicles, purple Lolas. Remember Lolas? No. Nope. They were a triangular. Oh yeah. Frozen thing. You would cut. That's the top what you called them. Yeah. The Lolas. You just suck suck on it for a while, and yeah, and melt it, and then you drink the yeah. sugar water. Purple was the color. You got to have purple. I agree. I don't know why, but there you go. So happy National Grape Pop, and it's only National Grape Popsicle Day today. I don't know when the National Orange Popsicle Day is. Probably on some crappy day, because that was the one you know ne- you never wanted the orange. Even it was grape, and then there was all the rest, and then there was orange as the throw in. Now they got white. White's pretty good. Oh, I like white. It's, it's cream soda. That, that, that's uh, the freezies. Though. I'm thinking of freezies, yeah. Cream soda ones are okay. Don, the, uh, we talked about it a moment ago. The Stanley Cup finals are about to begin. Boston and the Blues have taken to the ice for warm-ups. Anybody care? Here, I mean. In Boston, yes. In St. Louis, yes. Anybody around here, partially because of the Raptors, but partially because we're now under the nice weather and it's not the Leafs and there's no Canadian teams. And Anyone care? Bill Kelly. Bill Kelly cares. Yes, he's a Boston fan. Marty Burns, my client. But there's, uh, but as you notice, now I'm listing them off one at a time. By name, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it loses its luster when there's not a Canadian team. There'll be a lot of Leaf fans cheering for St. Louis just in spite. A lot of people going, that, gee, that could have been us. And it's not. And who knows? I mean, it's. When you're the Leafs and you're sitting back going, wow, that could have been us. All we needed, you know. So is it? it's not, it's going to be affected by the ratings again. And I think uh, the carrier was looking for a big year because it was a lot of, uh, Winnipeg had great promise. Calgary had great promise. The Leafs had it. Didn't last long. And I'll it, tell you, Boston and St. Louis is a whole lot easier to swallow than um, Nashville and Carolina or Nashville and Florida. Yeah, I mean there are there are storylines here. We go back to that famous picture of Bobby Orr against Glenn Hall and all that stuff. But I just 
I think that the Raptors, look, the, the broadcast networks up here, the sports networks, are not going to be suffering because whatever they lose in hockey viewership, yep. they're going to gain in Raptors viewership. But we're into the nice weather now. People generally will pick what nights they're going to be willing to sit inside, especially if it's pleasant out and they can sit out on their balcony or whatever else, sit out on their porch. I think that hockey, the ratings are going to, I think they're going to suffer this time because there is another thing going on that people will really want to spend their time watching. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. They, they, they don't want to be up against one another, and they won't be. I, I don't think they schedule. Maybe Saturday. I don't know. I haven't looked at the full schedule for both of them. Uh, the NBA is Sunday. Yeah. See, I don't think they go head-to-head, but that would be a, that would be a tough sell. It's, it's, it's going to be tough slugging, I'll tell you. Do you... It just ended. Do you care about the World Hockey Championships? I follow it, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, we lost to Finland in the gold medal game, and, and you know, we send a pretty good team. They're all former NHLers. And some of the countries we play aren't all former NHLers or present NHLers. Sorry. Real McCoy's a former NHLer. So, uh, today's NHL players. So you would think that you'd walk through it. But I listened to a bit of the game on um, Saturday. I think it must have been Saturday. Sure it was. And um, who did Russia play? Finland. Finland, yeah. Finland beat them one nothing, And I heard a power play. And Russia had everybody there and couldn't score a goal. I mean, you got – they had everybody there. I just don't know how much – I mean, the players – often will go, if asked. Many of them will. But I just don't know what it means. It's a harder game to relate to. First of all, they play it in the mornings here because they're always in Europe. the time difference, yep. Right? You got the bigger, uh, you got olympic size ice, which totally changes how the game is played to how we traditionally like to watch the game. It's just a different style because the rink's 100 feet wide. So it's just really not our style of game. And it's on midday. And, I love it's, your, I and lo- it's a questionable lineup for a lot of these teams. Yeah. I, I love your optimism, though, they say the nice weather's here. Well, I mean, it was for today, you know, at least until looks like it's getting cloudy again. But summer's over. Yeah, we've had we've had our day of summer. Wow. No, I, I, I wrote this on Saturday in the, in the Saturday column, and I got a bunch of people saying, you're wrong. I said, you know, there are 26 people that care about the world championship that watch. And I got a lot of people saying, I watch. And I was amazed by that because I've, I, I can never find anybody that shows any interest in this whatsoever. And I remember, like, there, there have been a couple moments over the years where if it had been a moment in a Canada Cup, in an Olympics, in something else, that would be a stamp, a, a postage stamp Canada moment. And I think of Aaron Ward, was it Aaron Ward, not Aaron Ward, Anson Carter. Anson Carter scored a goal, I think, against the Swedes in the championship game years ago. That would have been a where were you Canada moment if it was a tournament that anybody really cared about, but nobody did, and so we forgot about it immediately, and I couldn't even remember his name for a few seconds there. It's not, but it's, uh, sadly, the Olympics are a big deal. Yep. And uh, Why Sadly. Well, sadly for the World Hockey oh. Championships, right? I mean, when when it's that biggest skept, uh, spectacle, and the Stanley Cup playoffs are that for North America, and it's the same. Well, look at the World Junior Championship. So everything's going to be compared to that. Well, that's that's what you benchmark it against big games. 
is uh, is the Olympics. But if you look at the World Junior Hockey Championships, the only place they sell is Canada and Northern U.S. I mean, if they have them in um, um, Kazakhstan, I mean, nobody goes. Let me ask you one more thing because we got to go in a second here. Many over the years, many Canadian players have gone to international tournaments for two reasons. One, because they are good Canadians, and when you get asked to play for the country, you do. And the second is because you know that if you say no, and you're not Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid, that if you really want to play on the Olympic team and you've said no to this one, probably you don't get asked again. How many of these guys are going, do you think, or participating for those two reasons, as opposed to a deep love that they want to be playing international hockey in late May? I think there's a lot of factors, and I certainly think that's one of them. You're right. I mean, if you're good enough, you get to go. No matter what. Yep. So it'll be it'll depend on some age. So if there's some older guys there that, that probably aren't going to the next Olympics. And if your hockey season's done early and you're disappointed with your season and you're, you played in Phoenix and all of a sudden they're going to take you and your wife and kids on a vacation for two weeks and not those guys can't afford it, but it's a pretty unique hockey experience. Kids get to see part of Europe. You know, so that kind of thing makes sense. Anyway, Canada lost to Finland for those who didn't keep up, which is pretty much everybody. <laughs> Just for those who didn't know. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.